Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Dorothy's. I'm your host, Dorothy's. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dorothy's. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Dorothy's, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Dorothy's. I'm going to think about trying TikTok. I know that's a big thing right now, so uh, don't worry. You know, give me a minute. I'm, I'm going to try and think of something. Uh, you might see me on TikTok soon, but uh, so far I'm on those three platforms. You guys know I give a lot of giveaways. I'm going to be giving away a book today uh, of the author. I'll be interviewing Donnie Walton, so you want to definitely check me out there. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. And I want to let you know the call-in number if you want to ask a question is 516-387-1745. Well, my guest is a fiction writer, uh, but she has also been an editor uh, and writer at Essence Entertainment Weekly, Getty Images, and Life. Uh, She's a Jacksonville, Florida native for anybody from Jacksonville, Florida out there. And um, she has won fellowships from McDowell and the Tin House Summer Workshop, and she earned her MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop. Good morning, Donnie Walton. Hi, Joy. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Again, like I said, waking up in the morning. I'm glad you're on the East Coast, and um, you you didn't have to do like 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock or something in the morning. But um, this book, we, we actually, let me tell the audience, we were so engrossed in just talking about this book right now that I almost, like, missed the cue-in. Like, I was like, oh, we got five minutes, oh, five seconds. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's how good the book is. Like, and you guys know I read a lot of books, okay? So when I say that, I, well, you know, for me personally, I liked it. I like the rhythm. It's, it's like, for me, watching a play almost because there's so many different characters in there. So I think you will enjoy it. Let's start with you, Donnie. Why are you a writer? Why are you not a singer? Why are you not a drummer? Oh, I, the deal? listen, you do not want to hear me sing. I have no musical talent. I took piano lessons when I was 10 years old and hated practicing because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And just I remember the metronome going and I was offbeat and it was just a whole mess. <laughs> I heard that you got some kind of chicken pox. Did you take some magic markers on your skin? Did you take magic markers? Did you trick your mom? What what did? But did you really have chicken pox though? I know I had chicken pox. So this was the night of my first big (laughs) rehearsal. I broke out in the chicken pox. Never went to the rehearsal. Stopped piano lessons soon after that. You know, I think we took it as a sign that that was not my thing. (laughs) That was not your thing. So now the writer. Um, where did that start, and how did you know that you were even good at it, maybe? Let's say that. You know, so I'm an only child, and I grew up sort of an introvert and always kind of interested in what the grown folks were talking about. And I just loved hearing different voices, and I loved, you know, kind of being a little bit dreamy. And I just 
from childhood, I always remember writing little stories. You know, I remember our family took a trip on Amtrak down to Miami, and I remember writing about that. You know, I wrote little plays in high school, and um, it was never anything that I took too seriously. Um, in fact, you know, I was sort of a practical kid, and so I ended up saying, well, I like to write, so what can I do and, like, make a steady check writing? And that's how I ended up in, in journalism, honestly. And um, so coming back to fiction writing has been something that has, you know, happened, you know, happened when I was 40 years old, you know. And um, <laughs> so it's sort of a late blooming moment of, of my life to return to that, to that love. What was your first gig um, as a journalist? Um, what did they send you out on? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. Well, I actually came up through the copy desk. So I didn't do too much reporting, but I do remember I had an internship, and I was a reporter, and it was for a tiny newspaper outside of Jacksonville called the Fernandina Beach News Leader. I'm not even sure it still exists, but it was a weekly paper, and they sent me out to school board meetings, and I also had to profile a local person, an interesting local person every week. And I remember I did a school principal. I did an artist who had designed a Jimmy Buffett album cover, all kinds of interesting people. Very cool. Very cool. So now this book is dealing with um, a musical group and lots of other issues like race, sexism, um, a, a guy from across the pond is in there. Everything is going on. New York is in there. The, the, you span across the country. But this rock thing is in there. Where did your love of rock music, do you love rock music? Or I do. You, okay, you do love rock music. What, what's your yeah. favorite, favorite band right now for rock music? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, you ask me right now, and I say, like, I don't listen to a lot of new music, honestly. I'm really stuck in the past a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I like all kinds of music, honestly. You know, um, if you go in my, my playlist, you'll see it's a variety of stuff. But in terms of rock music, mm, I mean, I have liked a lot of the British bands, you know. I, mm -hmm. I really used to like a band called The Cure and um, gosh, but I also love like Stevie Wonder, you know, and I love Prince, you know, Prince mm. was a rock star. Yeah, um, classic. And classic. I've been listening to a lot of like older Tina Turner music ever since that Tina documentary was out on, on HBO and really knocked my socks off. So, um, and then I listened to a lot of music from the seventies, which is the decade that the final revival of Opal and Nev is primarily set. And so there was a cult funk star on the 70s scene named Betty Davis. So I listened to her mm -hmm. music quite a lot, a black woman mm -hmm. who, you know, was a little bit ahead of her time and the critics didn't know what to make of her. And her music is just phenomenal. It's, it's really, really amazing. Um, but she ended up leaving the industry, you know, uh, for a lot of different reasons, I think. But it's now not she easy lives out in there. Pittsburgh. It's not. It's not. It's not. I mean, yeah. performers don't have it easy. If you tell your parent, I mean, back in the day, or even now, I'm sure, a, a child says, Mom, I want to be a rock star. I want to be, you know, an actor. Any of the arts, I want to paint. They're like, can you be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an accountant? I know. Um, yeah. I know people whose parents wouldn't pay for school because they were going to go be an artist. They were like, oh, no, yeah. we're going to pay for it unless you go to school for this. Oh, so, yeah. 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 And I, I know friends like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it takes a lot of commitment 
you know, and it takes a lot more than talent. It takes perseverance. <laughs> it's a long yeah. haul. Now, you know, Brittany Howard, she won the Grammy for, for Best Rock Song. Yes, love Brittany. Do you see other Brittany Howards coming coming oh, out and, and getting more awards in the future? or do you think Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, no, okay. no, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, we're living in an interesting time where music is so accessible now. You know, like you have at your fingertips a range of things to be curious about and to explore. And I think as long as that's happening, like there's always going to be, you know, black folks interested in different kinds of music and exploring that and, and, you know, digging into their passion. So I think, you know, Brittany Howard is a person who is blazing trails and there's going to be a lot to follow her. Now, there's a writer who's, I guess, I don't know if you say orchestrating, and, and she's interviewing people. How much of that is you, or is it all made up? Oh, <laughs> I, think, I think a good bit. So the, the journalist character in my book, her name is Sunny, and she has been named the first black editor of her music magazine. It's a Rolling Stone kind of magazine. And I think that um, a lot of the things that frustrate Sunny, I can certainly relate to. I think that, you know, I mean, I started in journalism. I started in newspapers uh, in the mid to late 90s, you know, and um, things have changed quite a bit since then. And print media especially, it's been very challenging to, you know, uh, adapt to to a digital world and to understand, like, where the place of, of their brands, you know, where all of that is. And so a lot of what I came up understanding as a journalist, you know, there was this very, you know, clear separation of what we call church and state in journalism, and that would be, mm-hmm. like, there was a clear separation between advertising and editorial and those lines are all blurring now because it's a matter of survival you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of the decisions that the sunny character has to make a lot of the things that she worries about and honestly a little bit of um, sometimes dissatisfaction that the reasons that she got into it in the first place you know no longer kind of exist as she's had to learn to manage a staff of people in her case, in her case, it's, you know, a very kind of cantankerous staff. And she is the only black person in the room, you know, and she's going to try to change that. Um, but I at mean, the that's moment, significant, it kind of though. is. Yeah. That's very yeah. significant. You know, my mom worked in um, television and I remember she used to produce and do different things at a particular uh, news station and like her being, you know, one of the only black women and, I, I was a child, you know, at the time. I didn't realize what was happening. But as an adult, she talked to me about the sexism that's happened, um, the people not respecting her as the producer, um, you know, the, even just the um, racism, things, microaggressions that would happen that she would just have to ignore to yeah. basically keep going, you know, in, in that position. Who, um, you know, let's read, you, you have some, some copy you, you, uh, you were going to read today? Can you sure. show me that? Okay. Why don't yeah. You do that? Okay. Yeah, so um, 
I am, sorry, I am just hitting the book here, and I'm going to read a little bit from Chapter 7, so a little bit of setup for it. Um, the final revival of Opal and Nev is about an interracial uh, rock and roll duo. Opal is a black woman from Detroit, and Nev is a white Englishman, and they get together in 1970 New York uh, to make music together. They form this kind of partnership, and what I'm going to read um, is, uh, the moment that Opal first arrives in Detroit on the the bus, and um, the other thing to know about this book is that it's written as a as an oral history, so it's done in an interview form. So the first part I'm reading is from the journalist character who's giving context, and then I'll read a little of Opal. Opal Robinson arrived in New York City via bus in July 1970. The same month and year Funkadelic dropped that fierce edict to free your mind and your ass will follow. She lugged to the taxi stand at Port Authority two duffel bags, one of them bursting with brand new fabrics, sewing supplies, and paperbacks, the other stuffed with an assortment of shoes for every season and cheap synthetic wigs. As for the fluffy Afro wig that would not fit into her luggage, she wore that during her travels. In her jeans pocket was a slip of paper with the address for her new home in Harlem. She had found the room listed in the classifieds of the Amsterdam News and arranged to rent it via phone from her station at Michigan Bell after the other accounts payable girls had gone home. She gave the address to the hack, and from the back seat of his cab, Opal absorbed her new environ. In this city of nearly 8 million people, she was completely anonymous. No one she knew, neither relative nor acquaintance, could say her exact whereabouts. Opal Jewel. I'm an old chick now, and I like my quiet. But when I first came to New York, I was 21 years old. I could feel the energy of that place jolt through my body as soon as I stepped off the bus. At first, you just noticed the nastiness. You know, everything was so extra, extra hot, extra funky, extra loud. But sitting in the back of that yellow cab, I was like an astronaut in a shell traveling through space, pressed up against the window and taking in the stars. There were businessmen in brown and blue suits looking clean and sharp. Teflon dawns on those dirty-ass streets. I saw swarms of moving people, people who knew rules I didn't yet know. And in the swarm, you could pick out gray-haired society ladies and Hispanic workmen and Hasids in their outfits, the curls and hats and coats, even in that summer heat. And then we drove alongside Central Park, and I saw a fully-grown sister on rollers in a plaid sundress and cornrows hollering at folks to get out the way and rumbling down the sidewalk like it was the most natural thing in the world. And I thought, oh, my God, my people. And I'll end it there. I just wanted to do a very, very quick one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. So now Opal um, has a well, – should I give it away? She, she – Mm. Let me let's let's start here. Who was your inspiration? I'm trying not to give certain things away because you know I know it's a surprise. But um, who was your inspiration for Opal? And there's the character Nev, who is her partner, her musical partner. Yeah, yeah. So Opal, I had three main inspirations in mind, and I found Opal to be an amalgamation of those three, and then there were little pieces of others. So the three were Grace Jones, um, really for her style and her presence and her boldness and confidence and, um, you know, I mean, I was just thinking of Grace Jones on stage in her 60s, like with the hula hoop, you know, like she's so <laughs> incredible and like statuesque, you know, 
Um, so it's Grace Jones. The second person was Nona Hendricks, um, who was one-third of the group LaBelle, who we all know from mm-hmm. Lady Marmalade. But LaBelle also was a pretty fierce rock band in, in the 70s. And um, Nona was, I think, the one who was really digging that scene. And she was also kind of behind their Afrofuturist style. So okay. space suits and the feathers and, and all of that. And she also was a songwriter. So she wrote a lot of their songs, especially their more political songs. And then the third one we were talking about in, uh, before, before the show started was Betty Davis. And Betty Davis was um, a 1970s cult funk rock star in New York City on the downtown scene. And she had a very kind of provocative presence, and she didn't even do what she would term herself singing. It was more she was vocalizing. So you got lots of grunts and screeches, and it wasn't the most beautiful voice, but it was definitely memorable and recognizable. And Betty Davis faced a lot of things in her career. You know, the critics didn't know what to make of her. Her label didn't know how to market her. And she just ended up quitting the business altogether. And she lives in Pittsburgh now, her hometown. And um, it's a bit of a recluse. So it was those three black women. And then there's dashes of Eartha Kitt, you know, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's this viral video that I'm sure people are familiar with of Opal, uh, Eartha Kitt giving an interview in her garden where she's talking about love and like. Oh, yes. I, I've I seen that on Instagram. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I was thinking mm-hmm. about that. There's dashes of Tina Turner. Um, there's Nina Simone in terms of the political sensibility. So Opal was really a mashup. Yeah. Now, now, Nev, what about Nev? Where did he come from? So Neff was a little bit fuzzier for me. And at first, I really just saw him, his physical characteristics. And I was thinking about um, David Bowie at first. And that's how I was short pitching the novel. Imagine if Grace Jones and David Bowie made music together in, in the 1970s. But then he began to kind of take on some characteristics that were very different. Um, I would say when I was writing them, I was thinking about what, you know, what we would call a chameleonic figure, and that would be the kind of, you know, musician, kind of rock star that is changing styles constantly with the times and changing Mm -hmm. music. And um, so I was thinking about everyone from Bob Dylan to Elton John to Rod Stewart, like all these men who have had very long careers spanning decades and have tried all kinds of different styles <laughs> and personas. Yeah, um, he, um, he, he stretches um, longer, I guess, in the book in terms of performance than, than Opal. But, um, yes. you know, one other thing you bring up is the industry. And yes. I found that interesting. You gave a lot of time um, bringing out characters from the industry and not just focusing on Opal and Ned, because that's what I was thinking. Like, I was like, oh, okay, so it's going to be about these, you know, stars or whatever. And then I got into it, and you see you're talking to, you know, the, the owner of the record label. You're talking to the marketing guy. Yeah. There's, a, there's so much that's happening, and that is one of the things that with black artists, young black artists with rap, you know, they were being taken advantage of. And yes. um, it's seedy. It's, it's a seedy business. I mean, what can you tell from your experience, like young artists? I mean, I know you're not a musician, but you've seen the mm-hmm. back, back area. What would you tell them to look out for and, and to, to keep an eye on? 
Yeah, I, you know, I mean, uh, and this is something like I, I have done some research around, you know, understanding what, what used to be called a 360 deal, which is a very exploitative record deal um, where basically you have one company that is making money off of everything you do. So not just the albums you make, but the touring and all the merchandising and everything. I, I would say like, Beware of the quick money, beware mm-hmm. of the easy money, beware of people who pressure you to sign something on a time limit. Like, if you are truly talented and, and they, they are interested in you, they want you, like, they will wait for you to make sure that all the, you know, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most important thing is to make sure you understand every line of what's in that contract and you understand the implications of everything and the time span um, that that the contract is covering, you know, because otherwise, like, sometimes these things are very hard to wriggle out of, like, once you sign them and, you know, they, they own a piece of your art. They can own a piece of your art for the rest of your life, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you just have to be, and it's very difficult for artists because it's very tempting. It's a business that is sort of thriving on your dream and your ambition. Yeah. And um, people can take advantage of that, you know, but you have to understand that you are the one with the talent. What was the first concert you remember going to when you were younger? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the Jacksons Victory Tour in Atlanta. Ooh, I was eight years old. I was eight mm. years old, and we were visiting family, and they surprised us, me and my parents, with tickets. And <laughs> I, it was at a, in a big stadium, and they were sort of nosebleed seats. And the only thing I remember is the screaming, like <laughs> the teenage girls screaming, around this so loud you can barely hear the music. But the thing that I remember too is getting a commemorative photo album of um of Michael and his brothers. And oh, it was wow. like these okay. glamour shots of them and I remember like showing it off to my friends and my cousins back home until the pages basically fell out of it. <laughs> now what when you were writing, were you listening to rock? Were you listening to jazz? What what where what space were you in when you were writing this book? Are you outside at the beach or, or you know just sitting in your apartment? What, what so was because, I, you know? Yeah, the ironic thing is is that I have to write in complete silence. Like I, um, it, it's very hard for me to get into a zone of focus, and I get distracted incredibly easily. So I actually don't listen to any music at all while I'm in the process of of writing words on the page. But the process of writing is also dreaming. And so there were times when I would listen to music when I was thinking about like the plot and the characters, you know, when I was doing things around the house, washing dishes, um, you know, cleaning up the living room, whatever. And I would listen to music from the era. So yes, it would be rock music from the era. But I, I also like that you mentioned jazz because jazz also plays a bit of a, a role in, in the book. Um, the journalist's father was a jazz drummer who was a drummer for, for Opal and Nub, so she has that personal connection to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, jazz has always been a, a, a very warm and comforting space for me as well because um, my family very much loves jazz. 
um, my, my both sets of grandparents loved jazz music, the jazz vocalists, and my parents both are jazz fans as well. Um, yeah. And also, of I'll course, like soul music from the 70s, they loved as well. So I have all that from them too. Yeah, my family, I have some jazz musicians, and uh, my dad um, had organized or, or ran a, a jazz club so that also and and latin music my mom used to play latin music ah, on yeah while like you know cleaning and cooking and doing different things so i don't understand some of the words they're saying but just having that sound around is very comforting so i understand that's yeah. like the power you know of, of music and what it can do now the book also is dealing with some race issues and, and one of the things that i really found poignant is the character opal had been trying to get some of the other musicians on the record label to back her uh, mm-hmm. about a particular racially, yeah. I don't know, fiery issue. I yeah. Give it, give it away. And the people wouldn't come. Nobody would support her. But then yeah. when that issue started affecting them, and these were white um, artists, then all yeah. of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, we got to deal, deal with this. We got to blah, 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 blah. How have you yes. seen that play out in your life as a black oh, woman and journalist? You might have wanted to say something that was, you know, this is not right, this is offensive, you know, this is wrong, but nobody would back you. Ooh, I don't know that I have had a personal experience like that, that I can, that, I mean, I'm sure that I have, but, I, you know, none of them are coming to mind right now. But really what I was thinking about is, um a lot of our political climate right now. Um, I think that um, one of the the most beautiful things about my people, black people, is that we are community-minded. And um, we always, through necessity, and now I think it's part of us culturally, is that we look out for each other, right? And whatever the issue is, it doesn't have to directly affect us in order for us to have empathy for that thing. Mm -hmm. I think that um, one of the things that's most frustrating, I think, about about Republicans, I will just say it, um, is that they lack that. Um, there's a very sort of individualist kind of, you know, sentiment um, that they have. And in, not until something is directly affecting them, particularly their pocketbooks, I have to say, um, they don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they are not um, going to be moved by any appeal or by the fact that you are pained by it. They don't care, you know. And, and I think that is is what I was trying to to get at with, with that, yeah. that particular thing, yeah. Now, also, you're dealing with this issue of family and, and what is family. And um, when Nev saw Opal, it was like this instant connection, and, and they became a type of family. But the writer is dealing with some ghosts from her family. Um, you you know, African-Americans and family can be really, you know, strange. We have family of different colors, shapes and sizes, but there will always be like that one family member is like, they effed up, not, don't live in the house. (laughs) Don't, if they come asking you for money, mm -mm, don't do that, you know. Um, But the other thing is um, with family is trauma and we don't talk about that in mental health. 
do you feel that African Americans now are dealing more with their mental health? I do. I mean, I think that um, I I think there's definitely more talk about it and about the importance of taking care of yourself in that way. I mean, as you know, we we just have seen um, the the story about Naomi Osaka, right? Um, and mm-hmm. her emphasis on her mental health above, you know, her competing in a huge tournament. You know, it's the prioritization of that mental health. And I, you know, one of the things that I admire about um, the younger generation is their their openness to therapy um, and to, you know, dealing with now, some we, of those we things, say those traumas. Do you, think, mm-hmm. do you think men and women are equally open? Because I still feel like men are still on the fringes of not wanting to go talk to somebody about the issues. And even in the African-American community, people are like, well, why don't you go talk to the pastor? Yeah, I I mean, I can only speak really anecdotally, you know, I think that there is still some trepidation um, among men, among black men uh, about Mm -hmm. seeking um, mental health care. I think that, you know, it has to do with like those issues of masculinity and, you know, I can take care of myself or like I'm not, you know, quote unquote crazy, you know, those things. Um, But I hope that. I hope that as time goes on that there is more of a dialogue about that and more of, of a willingness to to seek that, that help if it's needed because we all need help. We all do. We definitely do. What yeah. was the last album you bought? Or I CD bought. You oh. Let's say CD oh. maybe you downloaded. I'm showing my age. I'm 50-something. <laughs> so. So it's been years ago, but I do remember that I bought um, Lemonade by Beyonce. <laughs> I bought Lemonade by Beyonce because I wanted the visual album. I wanted, like, the whole thing. Okay. And that was the last thing I downloaded. That's been years ago now. Gosh. Wow. So what, yeah. what, 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 what should people be doing in Jacksonville, Florida, if they have to go visit there? Oh. What's, what's a touristy thing people should do there? Oh wow, a touristy thing. Um, it's been a long time. And when I go down there, I just really hang out with my family, you know. But I would say you have to get some seafood, especially some blue crabs. You have to get like, and it's better if you if you you know know some folks, go to somebody's house, get a dozen crabs, get a couple dozen crabs, set up a card table in the backyard, you know put the newspaper over it and go to town. (laughs) That is the thing you have to do in Jacksonville. The beaches are lovely, you know. Um, uh, St. Augustine is a quick drive away, you know, one of the oldest towns in the United States. You can do that. Um, Yeah. What are you looking forward to now that the COVID things are, the, the guidelines and restrictions are, loosening up what where are you going to go travel what are you going to do are you going to try to buy tickets for a concert what's what's what are your plans or, or what well, are your plans? let's put it that way yeah i can't wait until live music is back i'm so excited for that and um i haven't really you know seen it opening up in a big way but i will surely you know i live in new york so we have lots of festivals usually like summer and summertime is peak season for all of that and I'm excited for that to come back. Um, 
I am fully vaccinated, as, as are my closest friends and family. So I've already done the visit home to check in on my folks. And soon I'm going out to L.A. Um, to hang out with some girlfriends. And um, I'm just excited to reconnect with people. I'm excited to hug people. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And, you know, just do brunch and, like, all those fun things that we just used to do on a Sunday afternoon. All of that I'm very excited for. Now, as I talked to you earlier, um, I'm already ready for the second book. <laughs> so um, you, you go have your little fun in L.A., okay, go, go to the beach or whatever, but I need you back in the quiet space to write the next book, okay? Because yes, um, ma'am. I'm, I'm... <laughs> Can you give us any hints about what the next book might be about or what you're thinking about? So, you know, I think I think in this particular book um, in, with Opal and Nev, I was really kind of taking on some big themes. I was writing about celebrities. I think the next book is going to be a little more intimate, you know, more about, mm-hmm. like, friendships and marriage and, and things like that. But I'm just right now playing with a set of um, characters and – You know, like, I think we'll follow them over a period of time, and that's all I really know. You know, I'm still in the exploration (laughs) phase. I'm still figuring out what it's going to be. Well, I thank you for writing this book. I really enjoyed reading it, and I'm going to be giving away some copies of your book. I want to um, encourage you to um, go out and get some brunch and and still, still (laughs) guess what, six feet apart? You still got to be six feet apart? What is it going in Well, I think if you're in New York, yeah, if you're outdoors and you're fully vaccinated with people who are all fully vaccinated, you can be a little closer than six feet. <laughs> but yeah. the tables themselves, the individual party tables are set, set six feet, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. the hug thing. I couldn't hug my daughter. I, I hadn't seen her for, I guess, almost – she she actually moved in, in during the COVID time, but, I like, we couldn't – like, it was like, hey, and it was just the weirdest thing. And uh, one day I remember walking on the street and I went to, I saw one of my friends and I was, she was with her boyfriend and I was like, oh, hey. And I just like automatically leaned in and we both were like, oh, right, sorry. I, I know. It's, you know. Yeah, it's so strange. It's been such a strange year and a half, you know. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm ready to get, I'm ready to get back to, to all of that, to all of yes. that love. Yeah. Yes. Well, again, thank you very much for coming on this morning. I wish you much success with this book. And, okay, I'm going to have the little metronome on to talk about the next book. (laughs) Joy, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you. You have a great weekend, okay? You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody. I just got off the phone with author Donnie Walton. Um, we were just talking about her book, The Revival of Opal, Opal and Neb. And you definitely want to read this. I'm going to be giving away some copies of her book, so you want to follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, you want to um, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Um, again, sorry, the book's title is The Final Revival of Opal and Neb. And... Um, Again, giving away some copies. Uh, if you missed the beginning of this interview, it will be archived, as are all of the interviews, and you can listen to them on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, iTunes, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. I appreciate your support. I thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and sharing with friends and family. I hope, you know, you have enjoyed them, learned some things about them, laughed, 
about the stupid silly moments probably you've heard. And um, again, thank you and uh, for your continued support. You have a great day. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting a Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.